watchers in the fourth dimension. Even the adore Scott's lassies must have played piggyback. What? I liked you better in your dress, Doctor. Ah, you made a good granny. I would like a hat like this. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And once aboard the Annabelle, that's the only way you'll get off her. Straight downwards. R. This episode, we're in Scotland. Och aye. <laughs> Alright, maybe, maybe I won't do that. Probably a good idea. Anyway, it's another totally missing historical as our intrepid heroes find themselves arriving in the aftermath of the Battle of Culloden. That's right, we're up to the Highlanders. This story is probably best known in Doctor Who fandom as the last pure historical for effectively 15 years. Yes. Uh, so we won't get another one until season 19. And Thank you. Yeah, I thought you'd be happy about that, Riley. Boo! We'd already talked about in previous episodes uh, how producer Innes Lloyd and script editor Jerry Davis were pretty keen to phase out historical adventures and Bluntly, if you've listened to our episode on The Smugglers, you'll understand why. Yet, BBC heavyweight Elwyn Jones came forward with a story set around the Jacobite Rebellion of 1745-46. Jones was a former BBC head of series and is known for being responsible for the development of both Zed Cars and its spin-off Softly Softly. With that kind of institutional weight at the BBC, he just wasn't the type of person that the Doctor Who production office could really turn down. Yet... Very shortly after he got the commission, it became apparent that his commitments on Zed Cars and Softly Softly meant that he was actually unable to work on this. So Jerry Davis stepped in to write the scripts. Both Jones and Davis were given on-screen credits. So we're already off to a flying start there. This story was originally intended to be the fifth serial of season four, and thus Patrick Troughton's third serial after The Power of the Daleks and The Underwater Menace. Director Hugh David was assigned to direct the fourth serial of the season, and he took one look at the scripts of The Underwater Menace and said that it couldn't be done on a standard Doctor Who budget. So in order to keep him, because they rated him as a director, they brought the Highlanders story ahead. Hugh Davis, the director, was actually a, an actor turned director, and he had been originally considered for the part of The Doctor in 1963 by interim producer Rex Tucker, so that was before Verity Lambert came on board, and Rex Tucker is probably most famous to us now as being the fellow who directed the gunfighters he's known for his work and he being hugh david on shows such as compact zed cars again zed cars is all over the place here Doomwatch and grange hill and he'll actually return to doctor who for season five's fury from the deep one element of the script was the prominence of the jamie mccrimmon character who lloyd and davis felt had the potential to be a companion and they insisted on being a key part of casting the role Fraser Hines was the chap who was cast, and his contract included an option for three further four-part stories after this one. And it was within a week of first being on set that they made the decision to exercise that option and make Jamie a permanent companion. Fraser Hines himself had been a child actor, and he had notably worked on an early Hammer film called X the Unknown, which is excellent if you haven't seen it as well as both Smuggler's Cove and Smuggler's Bay, two TV shows that were related, and in the latter of which he starred alongside a fellow called Patrick Troughton. And then after he left Doctor Who, he became extremely well-known for his role in uh, British countryside soap opera Emmerdale, in which he appeared in an enormous 1,352 episodes. Ridiculous. Sadly, this is another episode for which no new incidental music was composed, so there's no composer on this one. 
In the designer seat, we have Jeffrey Kirkland in the first of two jobs on Doctor Who. He is of no relation to the name brand of Costco. And he'll later return in season four, direct, uh, designing even on the faceless ones. After Doctor Who, he actually had quite the career working on things as prominent as Captain EO, Bugsy <laughs> Malone, and Space Jam. Working alongside him as costumer, uh, we have the return of Sandra Reed. With that, we move into our short summary, which is in the hands of Don this time around. Take it away, Don. The TARDIS crew land and find themselves surrounded by men in kilts. But it's not any given night at DragonCon, it's 18th century <laughs> Scotland, where they must avoid redcoats, white slavers, and a man who seems to think that he's the one about pirates from a few serials back. Along the way, we learn that Ben knows nothing about basic gun safety. Polly discovers an animal pit trap so effective, it really could have won the Battle of Cloden by itself. A new companion joins the crew, and the doctor learns the joys of cross-dressing like the true Brit that he is. <laughs> No comment. I don't Beautiful. even know how to follow that. <laughs> we just dive right in. Straight into episode one. We get a few action shots. Yes, some movement. Yay for more sensor clips. Yeah, let this be a lesson to all future television and film producers. If you have to film or shoot around a time of like a battle, make sure it's at the end of the battle. A lot cheaper that way. <laughs> That's that's a really good point, though, Riley. I mean, I, I know you said that somewhat facetiously. Well, I mean, no, it's what, what they had to do. So you look at the example, uh, the Myth Makers, or uh, what's that one we hated? The Massacre. I was mm -hmm. trying so hard to put it out of my mind. They all lead up and then cut away just before the worst of the fighting. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one takes the opposite approach and starts after the battle has ended. For any narrative, even for a war movie, there isn't really that much war going on. It's about behind the scenes, the conversations, the leading up to or the falling action afterwards. And you have to pick one side to have on it. If not, you just don't really have a narrative. You don't have really dialogue. You just have really a war scene that lasts too long. I had to pick someplace to, to, to be on the end of this. So I think this was probably the best choice of the end. I was just going to add on choosing the end of the battle as opposed to any of the beginning makes sense here just because of the impacts that it had for the rest of time yeah so it's like the rest of you know uk history like that it, this is kind of a big deal just a little bit before we get too much into that i want to talk about hats <laughs> there are many i still love the doctor stovepipe hat do we though do we love it really i kind of do i i kind of like it too it's very macabre Anthony is now on record about lying about our feelings about things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, that was uh, a deliberate bit of sarcasm. And don't forget, in episode four of this serial, <clears throat> the doctor specifically makes mention uh, when Boone pulls out a certain type of hat, he says, I would like a hat like that. So He says it's he said, in the first episode. Oh, I missed it. I only caught it in the fourth. <laughs> he said it in the previous serial as well. He's trying to make it a catchphrase. Don't think it catches on as a catchphrase, disappointingly. I just got done watching Outlander season five and I come into this and I just, it's like stepping back into the same world. So like the language is the same. We're using don't fash yourself and Sassanak is thrown around and layered. And I'm just like, all right, this is exactly where I want to be. <laughs> Somehow I thought you might enjoy this one. It is on record that the author of the Outlander books based Jamie Fraser off of Jamie McCrimmon, right? Yes. I thought, yeah, is that official? Okay, all right. I trust, I trust Julie's judgment on this. 
she got the name and she got the idea about it being around the Battle of Culloden. What cracked me up is that only until I saw the closing credits that I was like, I, I knew of the connection. And I was thinking about what the author was thinking. And then I see that it was, you know, the character's name is Jamie McCrimmon. The actor is Fraser Hines, Jamie Fraser. There you go. That's what she did. She claims that the last name didn't come from the first name. Oh, okay. That's her claim. Okay. I don't know if I believe her. Incidentally, while we're talking about Outlander, Fraser Hines was in an episode of Outlander. He absolutely was. Season one. So we're getting into a very, you know, big Scottish world. And then the doctor goes and pretends to be a German. <laughs> With a very poor accent. Yeah, the accent, it really felt really hammy. But I mean, I guess it was done for a humorous effect, right? I mean, that's how people would have viewed it back then. And I guess it's just not as funny now. I loved his terrible accent. I thought it was wonderful. It, it started to feel like, I believe there's an SNL character or a skit about a person. It was a television show where he's known as the impersonator or something. Or the, or the no, he was the mimic. That was it. He was the mimic. And so the idea was like, oh, you know, he can mimic anyone. But the joke was that the actor who played the mimic always did the same bad impersonation of everyone. And it was just did not work at all. That's what I kind of felt here with the doctor playing a woman, playing a German doctor. Just like the accent was so ridiculously terrible, so ridiculously fake that it, I couldn't help but find it humorous. And that the fact that no one could recognize how bad it was. And the fact he was Dr. Von Von Wehr, that's that's just Doctor Who. Doctor of Who, but close enough. With that and all the other batshit crazy things the Doctor gets up to in this story, if this had happened later in the show's run, we'd be talking about this as if it was some kind of post-regenerative trauma coming out. <laughs> Whereas this is the first time this has happened, and as far as we know, this is just what the Doctor's like now bonkers and i love it i mean i like the bonkers that he has in later uh episodes so we'll get there i know i brought it up in the summation but can we talk about ben's utter lack of concern for proper gun handling <laughs> because that actually bothered me considering he is supposed to be a type of soldier i don't yeah. think that they would let him handle firearms based on this episode <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he was like a cook on the ship. Like That's <laughs> probably what his role was. Let's be real. I don't know. He might hurt himself with a potato peeler. His idiocy with the gun leads to the only death of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. And it's effectively his fault. Like, Ben, what are you doing, mate? If Ben can't throw it or yell at it, he's sort of out of options. That's... <laughs> I'm also quite impressed that he was able to do that because guns back then, like it was an effort to get those loaded and primed correctly. The fact that he was able to pull that off, I'm like, that gun must have just been ready to go because it was an effort to do all that. Someone shouldn't have given a weapon that was already loaded and primed and ready. That was a mistake. Talking of the Redcoats, since that is what the gun does it draws the red coats in we have the doctor describing all the jacobite rhetoric and i said i wanted to come back to this as romantic piffle and this is something i wanted to talk to you about julie in particular because i know how into the history you are do you think this is romantic piffle or do you think you know the jacobites had a point i know i have my 
bluntly very English opinions on this, but... <laughs> so just to make sure that I am understanding your question correctly, what were they... What what was the exact point they were trying to make? Uh, the Jacobites? Well, yeah, I, oh, the, about the fact that the Jacobites wanted to, you know, have Bonnie Prince rule them as opposed to being under British rule? Yes. Then yes, I believe that they did have a point. Uh, but it wasn't all of them. I would add that. It wasn't all of the Scots. No, and it was primarily the Highlanders and, you know, those who were, you know, Catholic. British history is a weird thing, and how the throne, how the inheritance works is rather bizarre. I mean, half the time it's just based on, well, I kind of have a claim to the throne, and, well, if I just kill this one, then I now have the throne, which just seems really silly to me. From what I recall of, of the history around that, I do think that Lion had a slightly stronger claim to the throne than the British throne did at the time. Yeah, I mean, we were, I think it was George III by this time on the throne, mm -hmm. uh, 1745, and I mean, it, it was a closer lineage, but for the throne of Britain as a whole, and Parliament by this stage had passed the Act of Succession, which barred Catholics from becoming, or barred them from the line of succession, period. So by law, that was Bonnie Prince Charlie out anyway. I, it, I think it was a complicated situation. I understand the, the desire for self-rule and, and rule as one of their own, but by this stage, the Act of Union had happened, they were effectively one country. I, I think it's complicated. But how much did they have a say in that? Uh, it was the Scottish uh, nobility who pushed, it was actually the Scottish who pushed for the Act of Union, but it was the nobles because they were bankrupt. All I know is I think it's not a proper British monarchy unless it's run by a family of Germans. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Dr. Von Ver as their uh, primary advisor, right? It doesn't get more British than that. Let's talk about the true villains of this story. Wait, wait, we're going to talk about the episode? Weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Don. This is actually a Who podcast. You, I thought you may have stumbled into a British monarchy, British history podcast. I think podcast, I did. But no, it's... I, I've, okay. I've gone on podcast by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> The real villains of the story. Solicitor Grey and uh, his lackey Perkins. Shmee! It did have that kind of feel. Yeah, he's your, your standard put-upon idiot lackey. Yes. He's just the most moustache-twirling official that doesn't actually have a moustache out there. And I was beginning to wonder at this point, is this just the Savages Part 2? Not the Savages. The Smugglers! It's nice to have a bad guy who isn't actually trying to take over the world. He's just trying to make some money. <laughs> it's a bit more realistic. Yeah, and it's something that probably did happen back then of, you know what, we're going to take advantage of the situation and we're going to sell some indentured servants and I don't care what happens to them when they get down there. You can kill them if you want. I don't care, just as long as I get paid. Very shrewd man, but whatever works. Star of the reality show, you know, POW flippers. He uh, takes your POWs and sells them off as, as indentured servants. I also love the fact that he and, uh, and Perkins have like the classic comedic uh, physical duo of tall and gaunt and short and stocky. Oh yeah, they're very stock characters, but they're fun. Yeah, I think that's, that's one thing is, and I think there's probably a lot of physical humor in this story that we just don't get to see. 
there's just so many scenes of people speaking to crowds, usually the, 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 the Scottish prisoners. And then there's all this rabbling in the background and it just becomes like very much of it like incessant and problematic because it just feels like every scene because you can't really visualize it and you don't have anything else to take in. It's just people giving lines and then hearing rah, 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 behind it. So the cliffhanger. You mean where Polly doesn't quite hit the pinnacle, but she does wind up in the pit? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because of course she gets herself into trouble. Of course she does. To be fair, she is doing something to try to help them out. With varying levels of success, the companions and the doctor all have things that they're trying to do and accomplish. And I applaud them. <laughs> she was kind of a, a bitch to Christy, though. Oh, yeah. Calling her a stupid peasant. I mean, very British of her. But no, <laughs> it's her ring. She doesn't want to sell it. She doesn't have to. I, I think you and I had the same thoughts there, Don. My, my notes say Polly being damned insensitive about Kirsty's ring. Bitch. <laughs> so episode two. Here comes the recorder again. Oh, God. And the bagpipes. The only, isn't that the only music we hear? In the entire serial is a little bit of recorder and bagpipes. There's a little bit of percussion at one point as well, I noticed, but not much. Which are all things that would be classic in a, you know, pipe and drum band. Then just add some recorder on top and there you go. Meanwhile, the pit claims another victim. Oh my gosh. Bench with two Fs. <laughs> two Fs. Is, is that like a, I've never heard of an English spelling like that. Am I, am I missing something? I think it might be a joke on, you know, if you look at old manuscripts, an S looks like an F. I don't right. know. That was, that was the only thing I could think of. But I love how Polly, not really overpowers him, but, you know, she, she just runs with it, just convincingly, like, okay, I need all of your stuff. You know, Polly, you're really good at this. Towards the end, it was like, oh, well, Polly actually liked algae. Well, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> What better way to show it by taking all this stuff and blackmailing him? I know that she's like the Sharon Stone character in Casino. Like, she's just like a person <laughs> that like sidles up to a guy at the blackjack table. And then before he knows it, he's just left in a hotel room with nothing but his boxers and everything gone. Accounts wiped. I think it's safe to say this is probably the only time anyone has drawn a parallel between the Highlanders and Casino. Thank you. You're welcome. What did we think of Bob Hoskins' surprise role as Captain Trask? I'm pretty sure that was someone they had cast for the smugglers and he got the dates wrong and just showed up and they didn't bother to tell him. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> Captain Trask. Yeah, it was giving me, you're right, Don. It was giving me flashbacks, smuggler flashbacks. It was not good. Yeah, I think it says a lot about him that uh, when I was doing my, doing the show notes for, for this, for our preparation, you know how I normally list out any actors who've had significant credits in other things? He didn't make the list. Which tells me he hasn't been in anything. <laughs> normally, normally I only leave someone off when they've got 10 or less credits. So uh, clearly his acting career was pretty short-lived. <laughs> Speaking of acting and maybe it being questionable, I really loved the scene where the doctor gets to go visit Gray and Perkins. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Especially, about oh, does your throat hurt? And Nick tricks him into opening his mouth and shoving the thing in there. And just the whole thing was very hilariously manipulative. And there was some really, uh, like, really fun little lines in there. I think this is the line where when he gains the uh, the pistol, or I guess blunderbuss, I don't know what you would call that weapon now, 
And then he makes the line of like, I'm not an expert, but it might go off in your face. I love how it's like a joke and clumsy, but also a threat at the same time. Oh, yeah. A lot of undertones in that scene. In general, the, the doctor in this is a little unpredictable. You know, he's locked up and he, he loudly declares, well, I'm just beginning to enjoy myself. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? And then he's in there yelling, down with King George. Uh, he's, he's pretty uh, all over the place here. Every once in a while, I'm like, not quite questioning his motives, but I'm like, all right, how does this line of reasoning work? How did we go from here and get to here? I have no idea, but the doctor did it somehow. He's very much not William Hartnell in this. I mean, it's it seems like they've kind of thought, what are all the things that Hartnell would have just point blank refused to do? We'll make the new guy do that. <laughs> okay, I, I think we are lucky we never saw Hartnell in dress. <laughs> but here it's funny. Yeah. But, you know, you can just imagine that conversation. Hey, hey, Bill, we'd, we'd like you to do drag for this. I, I don't think that would have gone down well with him. I mean, let's think about this. Troughton has the scene with Perkins and Gray where he's, like, doing, like, these quick little witty tricks and stuffing, like, you know, thing in his mouth and, like, hitting the guy's head and stuff like that. Then, like, dresses up as, in disguise as a woman. He's basically Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a cartoon. That's that's I, that's how the portrayal feels like, especially with like with the recorder. It's very lightweight, like a cartoon character. I mean, that's a valid point. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I don't think you're wrong. I'm just glad he's back to stealing clothes like he did in the Crusades. <laughs> you gotta just keep certain traits the same. He's still the doctor. He steals clothes, just ladies clothes this time. We also have the return of just for the sake of Riley, I'm going to call it our things to do trope, where at the end they throw a guy overboard and say, hey, if you try to escape, that's what will happen to you. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. <laughs> I love it so much. I, I thought that was a, a weird cliffhanger. Because you just lost profit right there to make your point. Yeah. But hey, these are apparently not rational people. Well, I mean, they probably figured that they were going to lose some on the trip anyway because people get sick and die all the time on those kind of boat passages. So he's like, well, you know, one or two won't necessarily hurt. This guy looks weak. Let's throw him overboard just to make a point. <laughs> and where were they going to Barbados? I believe it's Barbados. All I know is I don't know many you know, people that have you know Scottish ancestry from Barbados. So I think it was pretty brutal for those Scots uh, prisoners if, if they would have made it there. We don't know how long Gray's been doing this. He could have been doing. I'm assuming he's been doing this for a while, or at least for a couple, you know, till the end of the uh, last couple of, like battles against the Scots. Did anyone else pick up on how slavery in itself is always going to be a nasty topic? But there was a really nasty conversation ar around it in this episode. I think where, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that there's a comment about one of the Highlanders will do double the work of one of your black slaves. My actual note is that's racist. Bad enough you enslave people, but then you insult their work ethic. Yeah, that that was pretty nasty though. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think they were just trying to give depth to the 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 evilness of these characters. You know, how horrible they are. So I was wondering, like, you know, since we have villainous English characters, Perkins and Gray, I mean, that's basically it. And I guess you could argue other uh, officer, English officer, and British officer. I'm almost wondering, back when this originally aired, were there people, like, in England that may have been, like, offended that they portrayed the English this way regarding the Battle of Culloden? Or do they, like, ah, oh, that's so long ago, I don't really care? 
Because all I know is if you did something where you portrayed 50% of like the, an American military force in some sort of war as being like really evil, you're probably not going to be doing anything anymore uh, in, for, in television production or film production. But let's be real, the British Empire was not a very pleasant place. So. I wasn't saying that it was. I was just wondering if like other if there was a member of the English populace back then that would have been like offended and angry by the portrayal. I'm not sure. Okay. In general, I think there's been an acknowledgement that we did some pretty terrible things. This probably would have been seen as more of a civil war type deal than an oppressive empire type thing. So, I mean, if if you put, well, it's, uh, no, it's not even a fair analogy. I was going to ask what it would be like if you were to portray the Northerners in the American Civil War as, uh, you know, being war criminals. But I, I don't think you can compare that in any way, shape or form. <laughs> So episode three. Episode three. Let's do it. We start out with Trask just being the total pirate stereotype that Don talked about. But doesn't he call someone a scurvy swine or something like that? I believe he does. Uh, that was amazing. That's that's one thing that was definitely the only thing missing is that all like the crazy pirate lines from the smugglers. I mean, it, it was definitely short on that. I, that I think would have been better if Trask was... Trask just seemed like he just didn't have a way with words. He was just crude all the time well that's the reason i didn't really have smugglers flashbacks is because that didn't leave enough of an impression on me to have flashbacks about that right there also i found it funny that trask had betrayed the true captain which means the true captain trusted trask in the first place <laughs> i mean there's a certain level of trust and i believe that it was mainly a, I trust you enough to be on my ship. That's not a very high level of trust, but it exists. It was definitely um, weird. Maybe he's a good actor. Sure. But again, so this was the episode that Ben started to actually start doing things that furthered the plot along and was like, all right, Ben, after that you know debacle with the gun in the first episode, you're finally stepping up and like trying to get some things done all right here we go when he was reading that contract or pretending to read the contract then just tearing it up i was like you cheeky bastard i love it i did love that i really did that's like the my, my favorite thing ben has done so far like in, in any of his any of the serials he's on i really enjoyed that for some reason i just just love the like the childishness of it that was wonderful because it's like surprisingly effective yeah because he has to go back and get new contracts we also get the, the scene of, I almost feel bad for Fafinch, as I'm going to call him, where, where he's there, he can't even really afford to buy his wine, and then Polly and, and Kirsty show up and further blackmailing him. <laughs> <laughs> and this is after, what, what was it, that his, his own men wouldn't pull him out of the pit, remember? Yes. Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, I almost feel bad for you. <laughs> The alternative uh, title of this story is Algie Finch's Bad Day. <laughs> you know, the only, the only thing I could think of when I was watching the Finch character, I was just imagining how wonderful it would have been if he would have been portrayed by Hugh Laurie as one of either of his two Black Adder characters. As the Prince yes. Regent. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that would have been lovely. So good. Sadly, we are about 20 years too early for that. I, I would still love to see Hugh Laurie do a spot and Doctor Who, maybe he, maybe he should maybe he should wait just a, a year or two. There's not even going to be you know any new episodes for a year or two. Well, then maybe he needs to wait three or four years. Yeah, that takes work. 
One of the other things, too, and I I think we're going to be just flipping back and forth. I mean, the episode did. But when they were on the ship and, you know, that he was reading off that the document. And if you if you want to do the one thing, go on this side of the ship. And if you don't go on the other side. And obviously the main group of the people that we actually know their names are on one side and all of the extras are on the other. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when no one yeah. tells the extras what they're meant to do. There's more Doctor Bonkers <laughs> stuff going on here. I mean, yes. he threatens Perkins with a gun and with... I, I certainly found myself thinking, oh my god, you know, new Doctor, we don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to use this? And then later, oh, well, guess what? It wasn't loaded. I was bluffing. Okay, great. That's quite doctorish. Good. Then he decides to take a nap mid-story. When Polly asks him, Doctor, have you got a plan? He just goes, no. His plan was to take a nap. <laughs> but before he took a nap, he was able to convince Kersey to leave Scotland. Are you going to leave Scotland? Yes. Okay, I'm going to finish my nap. And he's not afraid to get into a scrap, you know, like really get in there. So I think what this is pointing out is that we're going to learn several episodes later that actually the doctor has a drug problem. <laughs> no, spoilers, Riley, spoilers. He hides it in his stovepipe hat, if you're wondering. <laughs> He's just batshit insane in this story, and I'm here for it. And I think he uses his uh, recorder to smoke it. This is the first time I've heard of a crack recorder. <laughs> There's also that line where Polly says to him, you're fantastic, and he just responds with, I know. <laughs> One thing that I forgot to mention, and I think, yeah, most of it happens in this episode, of how dark this episode actually got, we had the, p the part where they were going to hang people man like it was they were on they were on the you know stools and they, it was about to go down and i was like they're gonna do that obviously they then like cut away but it got real close and then at the end of this one all right we're gonna tie ben up and we're gonna dunk him and drown him I'm like what and that gives us a cliffhanger on to episode four where we learned that ben was a magician and can swim oh he's in the navy i hope he can swim but we've already established he's a chef <laughs> That was the thing I did find slightly ridiculous. Uh, when was it? Episode two, the cliffhanger was the only way off is, is down, implying that, you know, you're going to drown if you try and escape. Can none of these people swim? I don't think that's that uncommon, actually, for that time period. I guess. It wasn't a common practice to go lay on the beach in the summertime during a holiday. You know, if this episode would have aired in the last 40 years on any tele major television channel, there would have been a disclaimer telling kids, you can't do that. Even though you know what to do like Houdini, that doesn't mean you can actually pull off that maneuver. <laughs> yeah. Moving on from that, we get the Doctor in another disguise. Complete with fake mustache. Where did he get that fake mustache? Doesn't matter. It's a, he's a cartoon character. He has like a like an endless bottomless pocket that he just pulls it out of, right? The hat is has TARDIS technology. It's just it it he just can pull whatever out. It's a hat of holding. Amazing. This this entire episode is I don't know, I keep saying it, but this this entire serial and this episode in particular is kind of bonkers. You've got the doctor trying to claim that Jamie is Bonnie Prince Charlie. Do none of these guys know what Bonnie Prince Charlie actually looks like? Uh, I guess they probably had, like, portraits. But even then, I mean, yeah. So unless they physically were talking to him face-to-face, -face, there's a chance that they wouldn't recognize the Bonnie Prince, which is how the Bonnie Prince in real life got to escape, was because he 
you know, went in disguise and hid and ran away. That's true. It, we didn't have Facebook and, and Twitter and all these other places to just post people's pictures everywhere. True freedom. Now that we're on episode four, I think it's really important to, or an interesting point to bring up Jamie's character. Did anyone else feel like he had not stood out at all until all of a sudden he's just the last Scott standing, so to speak? He didn't. It was because they liked the actor. They didn't really have the character developed enough to become a companion. He wasn't brought upon the TARDIS crew by Ben, Polly, and the Doctor because they knew him well or liked him. He just literally was left over. He had nowhere else to go. So at least that was, and that made sense instead of them all of a sudden be like, we really like him. Like, you don't even know him that well. They had originally shot an ending where Jamie basically waved goodbye and wasn't included. But then they decided that they liked the actor and wanted to see him continue and got him, you know, on the contracts and that. And so they they reshot the ending. But no, this doesn't set him up as being a companion very well. It's more acceptable than like Dodo. So many things <laughs> are. <laughs> In a way, it didn't set him up as a companion because it didn't give him you know, much of a backstory and he wasn't very active in the plot. They at least made it reasonable as to how he got on the TARDIS. I'll, I'll give them that. <laughs> Before we get to that point, I want to talk about the battle on the ship. Riley, I think we had a tweet about this, didn't we? Well, it was actually not in regards to this episode. It was the smugglers. <laughs> this is the smugglers part two, isn't it? We have a listener who contacted us on Twitter, uh, Philip Cully. He made mention, he made mention that the live-action fight at the end of the smugglers' recon, the original loose cannon recon of the Highlanders from 2000, used clips from the mutiny of the bounty in that in this final episode here, instead of just the stills. To represent the fight scene, just the old Mutiny and the Bounty uh, film. So oh. that, that would have been interesting to see that. And see why that might be confusing to just put in footage of some characters you've never seen before fighting. But anyway, well, thank you, Philip, for the point that is, it's it, someone should make a, that would be very interesting if someone like took a record of the changes that Loose Cannon makes to their own reconstructions over time. There might be people that do that, but that is probably a very difficult job to do. But thank you, Philip. I love how in the fight that um, Willie, the original captain, gets to take on Trask, because obviously that had to happen, and obviously he had to win. And Perkins goes with them in the end. It's a very true point, though, when the Doctor was like, he's loyal when it suits him. The only reason why he was loyal to Gray was because Gray would pay him money. Yeah, Perkins is in it for Perkins. Perkins plays both sides, so he always ends up on top. After the big fight scene, poor for Finch. He gets used one last time. He really is having the worst day. I'm starting to think he kind of likes it. He does get some wins at the end, though. He does. Gets a kiss. He gets to arrest Gray for being a slave trader. But also keep in mind that when Polly did kiss him on the cheek, she probably stole his wallet, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, she'd already done that, so unless she <laughs> unless he somehow acquired a new one. She eventually gave gave it back. <laughs> it gave it back, and when he opens the the fold of his wallet, it says, You've been robbed by Polly. Thank you. Good night. I thought it said that she gave him a lock of her hair as well. Uh, I think so. I think you're right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stills we had for this. Polly was looking really good in this episode. If Finch barely knows her, she's cheated and swindled him repeatedly. I mean, he's got to like her for a reason, and she looked really pretty. That's that's the only reason I could think why he was a little bit into her. Unless he's just a masochist. I, I wouldn't quite say a 
complete masochist, but he's probably not encountered a woman like Polly. He likes the bad girls now. Speaking of Polly, when they're talking about taking Jamie with them, the way she's like, Doctor, can we take him with us? It's like she's talking about a puppy that they've just found. <laughs> can we keep him, please? Well, and then she like takes his hand and he's like, shakes his head like he doesn't really want to go. And then she's like, no, come on. So kidnapping, kidnapping. It's the TARDIS way. Polly learns some lessons from the first Doctor in the, in the three stories she was with him for. And that brings us to the end of the story. Metrics? Camp count. Uh, I think just Trask. Trask. Maybe Gray? I thought Perkins. Gray and Perkins together is one. Okay. That's one. And then Trask is another one, so two. Don, any instances of I'll Explain Later? Sadly, was no I'll Explain Later. And I, I didn't see a quarry in the reconstruction either. Uh, so I've actually taken to looking up to uh, the uh, locations to find when we actually have quarries, and there was indeed no quarry on this one, disappointingly. Two for camp count and zeros on I'll explain later and quarry quarry. Time for ratings, and I get to go first this time. I actually enjoyed this one a lot more than I thought I was going to. I didn't really remember this one from the last time I saw it, which would have been about nine years ago, maybe eight years ago. But I thought it was a lot of fun. We had the Doctor being absolutely crazy through it and just being bloody entertaining. As I said, they would have never got Hartnell doing any of this stuff. The storyline actually kept me engaged, unlike the smugglers. And I can't quite explain why I enjoyed it so much. It was nasty in places, but it, I, I just found it a lot of fun. So for me, this one gets six and a half torn up contracts out of ten. Done. I'm pretty much right there with you. I went into this serial with fairly low expectations. It's going to be interesting to see how Riley rates this, because not only was this a historical, it also featured a musical instrument being the bad type, so it's <laughs> automatically going to be like a two, maybe a three. That's my prediction. But overall, I enjoyed it, mainly because anytime the Doctor was on screen, something fun was happening. There was not really any points where I was bored, but I wasn't as over the moon about it as I was Power of the Daleks. So I'm going to give this a 6.5 Doctors in Dresses. Okay. <laughs> Julie. I think I agree with a lot with you guys. The Doctor being a little bit nuts and was never really bored. And what I really enjoyed about it is that the two companions actually had things that they were doing that was accomplishing some goal that added to the story. Because I really think that since Ian and Barbara left, and Vicky actually, the companions have been a little bit weaker. Um, so the fact that both Ben, Polly, and the Doctor all had things that they were trying to do and accomplish and did those things, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 Bonnie Charlie rings. Okay. And Riley. This is, I think, another one of those episodes, and we mentioned this earlier, that it's very difficult to gather everything that this episode did because it is lost. I think you lose a lot without the visuals. So that makes it you know, more difficult. But uh, what do we have? I agree with Julie. I really love the fact that Ben and Polly are really engaged in doing things and not just following the doctor around they're doing things on their own and being able to achieve things that's that's interesting it feels like it's been a long time since a companion has done something like that the doctor is a wild card always doing something so he always keeps his scenes very interesting and light and fun the story works 
uh, story makes sense. It is good. It's and the best thing about it is tight. It is four episodes and there's no dilly dallying. You know things are moving at a decent pace. But did it grab my interest to a lot? No. Dialogue could have been better. But overall, it's it's okay. Um, I was kind of hoping for maybe a little bit more for the second episode of the Second Doctor. So I will, you know, just because now we are getting more accustomed to him, and this should have been something where he would have been settled in without the exposition of who he is and his regeneration. So I will give this a five and a half uh, Jacobite cockades out of ten. Okay, so that gives us a story average of six point three eight, making it the third highest rated story of the season or second lowest so far scoring almost double what we rated the smugglers with that we are just about out of time we'll be back next time when we head off to the city of atlantis not atlanta for some underwater shenanigans in the meantime all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app you can interact with us on facebook instagram and twitter at watches 4d and as a reminder, you can email us at watches4d at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. But for now, thank you very much for listening. Have a good one. You have been listening to Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Algae for Finch's Bad Day, was recorded on Wednesday the 20th of May 2020. And if you're having a bad day, just ask yourself whether you've fallen into a hole, been held at gunpoint, mugged, blackmailed by two unarmed women, and blackmailed again by one of your own men. If it's been that bad, then there's always the possibility that you might get a kiss at the end of it. But probably not.